time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome back to the Vintage Truth Podcast. I'm Jeff Kinley, and we've been talking about America and specifically about my latest book, The End of America, question mark, Bible Prophecy in a Country in Crisis. And we've examined some of the things that have really formed who, who America is, who she has become. And we looked at America's Christian beginnings in our last uh, episode together. But um, and, and there's so much we could say, and I, and I cover so much of this in the book for you and go into great detail. And, and, and it's all very entertaining reading, but, it, but it's hard truth. You know, some of it's tough truth to really to swallow and tackle some uh, some really pretty serious topics in, in this book. And but uh, but I want to uh, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of episodes talking about this. I want you to get the book and get it for yourself. But in this episode, what I want to talk about is. Really, what um, what is God's relationship with America? I mean, what is sort of his agreement with our country? And uh, we're also going to tackle the topic of, as America mentioned in Bible prophecy, we're going to do that uh, next time. But I want to talk about today a little bit about the fact that God has a relationship with nations. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what I believe is going on right now in our nation and answer the question, are we going to experience God's wrath as a country or has it already begun? So let's first of all talk about this, uh, this relationship that God has with, uh, with America. You know, in the Bible specifically, Scripture talks about God's relationship with the nation Israel, okay? Now, people get really confused about this when you start talking about Israel because People think that Israel is just means Jewish people, and, and that's not what the Bible's talking about. The church was begun at Pentecost, okay? And in the church, you have both Jew and Gentile. You have, you have Greek and barbarian and Scythian, and, and the Scripture says that we are all one in Christ, that there was this dividing wall that was broken down between Jew and Gentile, and now Jews are a part of the church and Christians are, or Gentiles are a part of the church. And so as individuals, we all come together as one in the body of Christ, in the bride of Christ. But as a nation, God has made promises to the nation of Israel. And he has a covenant relationship with them that began all the way back in Genesis 12 and his promises to Abraham. And there are promises God has made concerning the land, concerning uh, David's throne and concerning Israel being regathered and established or reestablished as a nation, uh, which she has been. Uh, Israel became a nation officially on May 14th, 1948. May 14th is my birthday, by the way, but I was not born in 1948. Uh, but this is a process of Israel uh, becoming a nation. It was really it was really happening for over 130 years as Jews began to make their way back to their homeland, almost like a magnet being drawn uh, back to their homeland. And so Jews were uh, were making their way back to Israel. But on, on May 14, 1948, it became official. Israel became a nation. And since then, they've been flooding into uh, the Holy Land. And today, more Jews are living in Israel than at any time in 20 centuries since they were scattered in 70 AD and the temple was destroyed by the Roman uh, general Titus. 
And so today, Jews are back in the land. But that, that's, there's a covenant relationship God has with the Jewish nation uh, that's going to be uh, revisited uh, during the, the time of Revelation. But what about the rest of the nations? What, what about Brazil? What about Peru? What about uh, Canada? What about everybody wants to know what about Canada, right? What about uh, what about America? What about the United States of America? Does God have any sort of agreement with them? Well, when you look at Scripture, you see that God does have apparently an understanding and a, a relationship, if you will, with Gentile nations, with other nations, with pagan nations, and and this is what we see. We see that God judges nations based upon their moral conscience and their national character and based, based upon how they, how they live under God's common law. So where do you get that? Well, we're going to look at this here in a little bit. But in Romans 1, God makes a claim. And the claim that God makes is that every person on planet Earth knows that there is a God. According to God... There are no real honest atheists, okay? There are people that suppress the truth about God, but there no, no one is born as an atheist. And so God says because of the creation of the world, and as you look up at the heavens, you see what God has done, that you naturally understand that there is a divine being up there somewhere. You just intuitively know that. There's something greater than you, that we didn't just happen here. We're not stardust and we're not the results of, of random mutation. We're put here. We're created as a race of people, as human beings. And so nations, nations are made of people, by the way, right? So nations understand that there is a basic creator. And then Romans chapter two tells us that every person has within them a basic sense of right and wrong. That's, in Romans 2, verses 14 uh, through 16. And God says in those verses that there's a law, a moral law that is written in our hearts and that our conscience is what allows us to, to kind of calibrate that, to understand that. So people have a conscience, a basic right and wrong, and people have a knowledge that there's a God to whom they will be accountable, Okay. So with those two things as a base, Scripture says, that's how God judges the nations. So when you look at, for example, Noah's generation, you'll see an entire civilization of people that just said, enough with that, man. We, we don't want God. We want to do our own thing. Forget about conscience. Forget about morality. Forget about right and wrong. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 6 that there was an entire planet full of people that were Scripture says in verse, at least verse 9, 6, 9, says that, that the entire planet only thought of evil continually. That their only thought was of selfish pleasure and evil 24-7. And that's why Scripture tells us that they were godless with, without a God, that God consciousness because they had completely suppressed any knowledge of God and that they had filled the earth with violence and with immorality. Well, that kind of makes sense, you know, because if, if there's no God, think about that with me. If there's no God, then I'm not going to have to answer to anybody one day. Like whenever I die, 
whatever happens to me, I mean, whether I just cease to exist or I just go into another consciousness or, you know, come back as a beetle or a rat or cow or something like that, you know, like other religions believe. If there's no God, I'm not going to have to answer for my actions. So why wouldn't I want to just spend my life thinking about what pleases me? So my every decision is based upon what I desire, not what God desires or what is good for others, but simply what pleases me. And if that happens to go against what you believe, if that happens to hurt you or take your life or steal your stuff or your, or your, hurt your family, so what? There's no God. I just got to worry about you retaliating against me. But hey, if I can conquer you, and get away with it, then then why not? That's the way Noah's generation was. It was it was filled with violence, and and Noah's world really bled the ground red with blood. And there were also an incredibly immoral culture. And the Bible says that God judged them with a worldwide flood. Hello, Noah and the flood. And God didn't do that just because he had a bad day, or he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He did that because they were evil. And his agreement with them in terms of a civilization was, you know, you have to be decent. You have to have a basic sense of morality and decency or else I will come and judge you. God did the same thing with with the tiny civilization, the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says God rained down fire and brimstone. He incinerated those cities because of their gross homosexual immorality. You read about that in Genesis as well. Jesus said Matthew 25, 32, that one day he will judge the nations. Well, what's his basis for judging the nations? Well, it's going to be based on how they responded to the revelation that was given to them. And then you have also God judging individual rulers or leaders of countries. You have God judging Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, and as the representative of his nation, you know, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he could do anything he wanted to, and he's, he's like, God, who's God, right? I'll do what I want to. And God gave him a ride he never forgot. Read the, about that in, in Daniel 4. And same thing with Pharaoh. You know, when Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, Moses said, I mean, excuse me, Pharaoh said, um, I'm sorry, I don't know who this God is again. I'm the God around here. So I'm, I'm the one who makes the rules. And God gave Pharaoh 10 audiovisual lessons, better known as the 10 plagues, that really got his attention. I mean, God did it with Herod, King Herod in Acts chapter 12. The Bible says that he was, he was praised as a God, and he kind of liked that, you know. God said he struck him with worms and he died. So, so yeah, it, it matters how you live before God, whether you're a Christian or not, because there's still something that God expects of you and that God expects of nations. So God does have that kind of relationship with nations. There's another th- way that God relates to nations. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God told Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish nation, he said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In other words, if you treat the Jewish nation, if you're a nation, your country, and you treat the Jewish nation with respect and with decency and with fairness, then I'm, I'm going to bless you. But if you curse the Jewish people, 
and the Jewish nation, God says, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. I'm going to curse you. I mean, Babylon didn't think God would do that. Do you know any Babylonians today? Assyria took their chances. They're underneath underneath the sand right now. Persia tried it. They scattered the Jews. There's no Persia today. How about the Roman Empire? No one thought the Roman Empire would ever go away. And yet they systematically mistreated the Jews, destroyed their temple, and the Jews were scattered. And so Rome is no longer. So, yes, there are principles that detail God's relationship to America and to other Gentile nations. And so, yeah, we have to think about how God is relating to America. We say, well, okay, then, then what is, what's he doing now? What, what do we know about what's going on? We talked about earlier about America's decline, what's going on here. And we have to ask the question, you know, is, is God's wrath coming? Uh, or can we be spared of God's wrath? So it's, it's important for us to just quickly define what God's wrath is, okay? Because that, that just brings up all kinds of, of ideas and images in people's heads and that kind of thing. Well, let's just define it this way, that God's wrath is God's divine displeasure and or his deliverance of judgment towards sin, towards sinners, and even towards uh, nations. It's like his righteousness in action, all right? And God's wrath is revealed through, obviously, creation, uh, through the revelation that he gives through creation. If we don't respond to that, then wrath comes. Uh, It's revealed at the cross where God judged Jesus Christ. His wrath was poured out on Jesus at the cross. And it's displayed through his coming judgments that we read about in the book of Revelation. And so why should we discuss this? Well, because it's a real thing. It's an actual thing in the Bible, God's wrath. And it's actually coming to the world. Um, It's an attribute of God. Just like his love and his grace and his mercy and his omniscience and omnipresence and uh, omnipotence, everything that God is. I mean, you can't just take one thing out and just say, I don't like that part of God like a buffet line. I mean, it's God's wrathful God. And he's just. He does the right thing. You want God to be just uh, in punishing sin. So it's an attribute of God. So that's why we should discuss it. And it's the Bible talks about it. So if the Bible talks about it, then we should talk about it. And so I think it's very important for us to, to mention that. Now, there are many ways that God's wrath is expressed. Uh, it's expressed, obviously, through hell, which is where people who don't respond believe in Jesus Christ. This is where they spend eternity. Uh, we see God's wrath, as I mentioned, in end times judgments. There's end times wrath. There's catastrophic wrath where God sends an event like the flood or like Sodom and Gomorrah where he, and like he'll do in the end times, he'll send different cataclysmic judgments from the heavens. Um, there's also what I call harvest wrath, which is sort of the the, the wrath of, of sowing and reaping. God says, hey, you're going to experience my wrath. If you, if you go out and do these certain things, it's going to come back to you this way. It's like planting seeds. That's why they call it sowing and reaping. If you plant beans, you're probably going to get beans. You know, if you plant tomatoes, you're not going to get squash. If you plant watermelon, you're not going to get, you know, cantaloupe. So whatever you put into the ground is what you're going to get out of the ground. So God says, if you sow death and sin, if you sow rebellion from me, 
then the blowback from that's going to be something very, very negative. But if you sow life, if you sow peace, if you sow happiness and love and spirituality and godliness, then that's going to come back to you uh, in your heart. And so there's the, that harvest wrath uh, that God talks about. And then there's one more that I want to talk about and conclude on in this message. And I want to do a whole, I could do a whole podcast on this thing, uh, but I won't. Um, I, I may do it in the future, but we'll see about that. But this, this is what I call abandonment wrath. And this is what we read about in Romans chapter 1, where God basically says that when a person or a culture sees the, the creative revelation of God and they reject that, in other words, they know that God is there, but God says they suppress that truth, okay? It's not that some intellectual, some philosopher, some scientist, you know, sees the evidence of what we as Christians call God and they go, no, I don't think that's true. I've got a better idea. God says, no, that's called suppressing the truth. That's called denying reality and creating an alternate reality where God doesn't exist. And so it's undeniable that there is a God. Now, what, what God that is, who that God is, what his name is, you know, we can talk about that. But God gives evidence for himself in that as well, right? But everybody knows that there's a God. So when you suppress that truth, that, that divine revelation, the fact there's a creator, that there is a creation that he made and that you have conscience given to you by God, when you refuse to accept that, then there's a consequence for that. And it, and it tells us in verse 20 of Romans 1 that we are all without excuse. We are without excuse that there is a creator. No person will stand before God and say, I, I didn't know you existed. I, you know, really, nobody ever told me. God's going to say, I told you. Did, did you look up at the heavens? Did you see the world around you? Did you wonder how it got here? Did you wonder about the incredible intricacy of the human body? Did you ever think about that? Did you ever feel guilty for something or know that something was definitely right, the right thing to do? That's called conscience. I gave that to you. All that made you accountable to me, God says. But when you reject that, verse 21 says that that leads to a refusal to submit to that God. And, and when you refuse to submit to the God that you know is there, but you're denying who is there, God says in verse 21 is that you have, you begin to speculate about life and origins and yourself and what is true and what is real, and what is right and what is wrong. And it says, and your foolish heart is darkened. So this is the first step really in, in suppressing the truth. The first consequence is that God allows your heart to be darkened. In other words, you had the light of the truth of God existing. You had the light of the truth that he had divine attributes you have the light of the truth of knowing that you're accountable to him and you started to deny that. And God says, when you made that choice, even as an unbeliever, I darkened your heart even further. Wow. What an incredible place to be to know that the light that you once has, like God takes the dimmer switch 
and he starts to dim that light. It's like what you had is now going to be taken away from you because you did not respond to the initial simple basic foundational truth of God even existing. And what happens from there? What happens from there is you have to begin to speculate about things because now you're, you're becoming a blind man. Your sight's being dimmed and you have to make up crap about what life is really all about. And people on social media, when they, when they blog, when they talk about life and stuff like that, you know what they're doing? They're just making up stuff because their foolish heart has been darkened. What does a dark heart do? How does a dark heart respond from there? That's exactly what we're going to talk about next time on the Vintage Truth Podcast. I hope you'll join me. It's going to be good stuff. Wow. Whew, I'm sweating. See you next time.